so good to hear everyone's conversations um, on this morning. A uh, very warm welcome to you today, um, bright and early. Um, and if I have not had the pleasure of talking to you yet, uh, my name is Abby, um, and I am bringing the Bible reading today. Uh, today's Bible reading is from Matthew chapter 28, verse 1 to 20. And if you do not have a Bible um, and you would like a paper copy, uh, then raise your hands and one of the host team will get to you. Before we begin, let me pray. Dear gracious Lord, thank you for the um, privilege to read your word, um, to learn from it today. Um, I pray, Lord, that you would please help us, Lord, to listen, um, give us soft hearts um, and help us to put into practice what we hear today. Um, I pray for Matt that you would help him preach well um, from your word, Lord, faithfully and truthfully. Um, yeah, and I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew uh, chapter 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Verse 11. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell the people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is God's word. Good morning, everyone. Can you hear me? Okay, fantastic. I was just a little bit stressed because I almost lost my sermon notes. So if you saw me sprinting around the back of the hall... That was a slight stress there. <laughs> um, but it is all good because we've got them here and my mic is working and we're here at our second, uh, our first day of two gatherings, which is really exciting. Um, and it's so wonderful that we're making this big step forward together as a church family uh, for the sake of our mission here at CP Church, which is, at Matt, as Matt said before, to make devoted disciples of Jesus 
for God's glory. And thank you so much for being a part of this. It is a special occasion for us as a church and you know, just one step along the way as we keep serving Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. We are continuing on with um, our next sermon in our church series on the dearest place on earth, why church matters to God. And as we start today, we are thinking about uh, mission. We're thinking about ourselves as the missional church. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is always this, I'm very big on this question, is why? Why are we here? What's our purpose? Um, I wonder if you thought about the church in particular. Have you ever thought to yourself why we're still here as the church? Because when you think about it, you know, what we've looked at in the past weeks is that Jesus has saved us, those of us who believe in Jesus Christ. That's why we gather here today. He saved us. We're united with Him in a very real sense. Uh, we're already in heaven with Him, spiritually. We're gathered around the throne in heaven with the multitude of believers from all uh, history and all around the world. Uh, in a spiritual gathering around Christ, gathered around, worshipping Him, listening to His Word. Um, so why, don't, why doesn't He just come back and sweep us all up and take us with Him and make that you know, complete? Why are we still here in this world? Especially when it's a world that's really hard to sometimes be in, isn't it? When there's death... There's suffering, there's things like COVID that come and hit us, uh, there's loss of relationships, there's conflict. And life is actually pretty hard. If Jesus has actually promised us that all this stuff will go away, that things will be made right and perfect, why doesn't he just come and do that now? Well, some of us, you feel that probably more acutely than others. You know, wouldn't you love to just go and all this stress comes to an end? Well, I'll tell you why Jesus hasn't come back yet, because there's still more people to be saved. That's why we're still here. This is why the church is still here. Thanks, brother. read my mind. <laughs> if you're here today and you're not a Christian, um, I want to say it's so wonderful that you're with us today. It's wonderful. We love having people join us who are thinking about the things of God and just trying to discover things about Jesus Christ. Um, I want to unashamedly say something to you that what we want most of you, what we want most for you is that you come and meet Jesus, yeah? That's a, I just want to be really upfront there because we think Jesus is the best thing in this world. His message of life, hope, and reconciliation, nothing beats it. And we want you to know that hope and joy. I just want to be really clear. Your friend who invited you along today, if they invited you, they're not just an annoying person trying to make you, you know, Bible bash you. They want you to know eternal life. And we believe that's really important. That's what matters to us as Christians. If you're, Christians, if, you're Christ, if you're a Christian and you've been around uh, church for a little while, I'm guessing you know that sharing the gospel or evangelism is really important. But it's really, really hard, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it hard? My guess is that many of us here, uh, we probably feel a bit guilty or maybe a little bit disappointed about how we're going at sharing Jesus with people. Um, when's the last time you shared the gospel with someone? And I want to include myself in this equation. Um, you know, I can make a million excuses, especially for me. I'm a pastor, you know. I'm doing God's stuff all the time. But I know for a fact that this is not something I'm very good at. My wife is much better than me at it. There's been a bunch of friends that I've been meaning to catch up with pretty much all year, non uh, friends who don't yet know Jesus, and I really want them to, you know, start to hear about him. But I just haven't done it. And the truth is, amidst all my busyness, all these things, I just haven't made it a priority just hasn't been a priority for me. Now, friends, if we want to make an eternal impact on this world, 
If we want to make a difference in this world for God's glory, then we need to take a good hard look at the Scriptures. We need to be reminded again about what Scriptures tell us. And it tells us this, that nothing is more important than people knowing Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to take, take a deep dive to just remind ourselves of this. Our sermon today is called The Missional Church. And when I use the term mission, this is what I actually mean. Uh, mission is this, boldly proclaiming the gospel to a lost world. When I talk about mission, I'm not talking about particularly going overseas uh, to do um, mission, you know, mission work overseas. Uh, it's not, mission is not about also um, helping homeless people or needy people, building schools, things like that, although that's a wonderful thing. I think that's not what mission is in the Bible. Mission in God's eyes is whenever we step out of our homes to tell someone about Jesus. Right? You don't have to go far, but it's just about telling people about Jesus. We're all missionaries as soon as we step out that door. So let's get started. Um, and I'm going to give you four reasons that I'll go through quite quickly about why mission really matters, and one reason that I'll spend a little bit more time on, and that's from our Bible reading that Abby gave us early on. But the first reason why mission matters is this, the unseen reality of heaven and hell. Now, let's be honest, hell is not something that we like talking about, is it? It's not a very comfortable subject at all. It's a hard topic, and I know, you know most of you are probably as, are as uncomfortable with it as I am, but I want to show you that even though it's uncomfortable, it really matters. Let me take you to Mark 9. And this is Jesus Christ talking, our Lord and Savior. He's talking. This is what he says. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. It's quite a confronting passage, isn't it? Jesus actually talks about hell more than he talks about heaven. I don't know if you realize that. He talks about hell in much more detail, much more vivid description, uh, much more so than he does about heaven. Why does he do that? Because he doesn't want anyone to go there. This is serious stuff. Jesus knows this is serious. This passage, you know what the vibe of this passage is? It's essentially this, do whatever it takes to get to heaven and not to hell, because hell is terrible. That's what Jesus is saying here. The truth of the scriptures uh, that the scriptures give us is this, that this life is not all there is, that there is a day of judgment coming where Jesus Christ will come back. And without Jesus, hell is the destination for us. Hell is suffering, it's punishment, because our selfishness and sin against a God who is utterly holy has condemned us there. That's what hell is. But with Jesus Christ, who dies to forgive your sins, we can have the hope of something much different. Heaven. Heaven. This is the truth of the Scriptures. Friends, we need to realize something. This life is not all there is. This life is not all there is. But here's the thing. We so often live like it is, don't we? Jesus was always thinking of the future. We are so often stuck in the present with the things that we can see, we can touch, the tangible things. But Jesus, his life was dominated by the unseen realities of heaven and hell. Jesus didn't die to give us a good life now. He died to bring us a perfect life for eternity. Friends, the call that scriptures give us 
is to not invest in the things of this world that will be here today and perish tomorrow. I was reading with um, Jacob last night about the farmer who had lots of crops and he kept building barns for himself. You know that parable from Jesus? And he just kept building barns and barns to fill up all the stuff. But then his life was just taken and they were all gone. And he couldn't do any, he couldn't take them with him. All these things, temporary, fleeting. The temporary things of this world will perish. Instead, we are called to live for the unseen realities that will last. And let me tell you, if you really get heaven and hell are real, then this thinking will change your life. It will change your life. That's the first reason why mission matters, because heaven and hell are real. The second reason mission matters is this, the fact of the cross. Um, Let me read to you uh, a verse from Mark 8 where uh, Jesus is with his disciples. It's coming up on the screen. Mark 8, 31. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, I do question Peter's wisdom in rebuking the Messiah, um, but he's got some valid points there, doesn't he, when you think about it? He's seen Jesus do amazing things. He's seen Jesus heal the sick. He's seen Jesus uh, turn water into wine. He's done amazing miracles. He's even raised the dead. He's seen Jesus do these things. And he's, he's realized that Jesus is the Messiah, the King. He's just admitted that, that he's the one that's come to liberate the God's people probably from the Roman oppressors, you know, Jesus, the powerful king, come to, you know, finally free them. He's so powerful, he can do whatever he wants. This is Jesus here. Peter's hyped up. But then Jesus says this, I'm going to go die. That's the game plan. I'm going to go die. It doesn't make any sense. When you think about it, Jesus could have done a lot more with his life, right? Think about this. Um, he could have had an amazing career as a traveling speaker. He could have sold out stadiums. Don't worry about Taylor Swift, man. You know, Jesus, worldwide tour. He could have sold out stadiums. He could have made millions. He could have emptied hospitals, healed the sick. He could have helped all the poor people around and made a real difference in this world day by day, you know, just going around. But he didn't do this. He died young. He died around 30 years old, gave his life up, And that tells us something. It tells us the cross was far more important than any other good Jesus could have done in this world. Jesus' mission was about the concerns of God, not human concerns. That's what he rebuked Peter about, right? Peter was very concerned about human things. But Jesus has, at the core of his mind, God's concerns, what God cares about, God's mission. And at the core of God's concerns is this, that sinners come back to him and be forgiven and be reconciled. This can only happen as Jesus Christ, the Messiah, steps into our place, dies the death we were supposed to, takes our sins upon himself, and dies on that terrible wooden cross in our place. And he does that because he loves us. And he does that so we can be forgiven. The cross means our sins are gone. Every sin It means our slate is wiped clean. Our debt's cancelled. 
How good is that? Everything's gone. Jesus died for that. And we need to understand one thing. This is why Jesus came. This is why he came. The cross was not a side hobby for Jesus. This isn't just one thing among many that Jesus loved doing. Um, this isn't just one thing among many good things that God gives us as well. Amongst, you know, things we, amongst good coffee and beautiful sunsets, you know, which are all good things. Jesus isn't just one other thing that God gives us. This is the most important thing. Salvation and reconciliation, nothing matters more. There's a primacy to this because God gave up his only son for this. Mission matters because of the fact of the cross. Mission matters because of the fact of the cross. Mission also matters because of love. Love. Now, the core of the Christian's life is love. It's love. The greatest commandment of this, to love God, love your neighbor. And as Pastor Matt told us last week, love is a sacrificial commitment for the good of another. Right? That commitment to, to seek the good of another. And we can express love in many practical ways, but we need to see that over and above any physical needs, that bigger need, the biggest need that everyone has is a spiritual need. If we're to do good to the other, to seek the good of the other, we need to actually address their spiritual needs. We need to see people like Jesus sees people. Matthew 9, 35. Let me read to you here. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into this harvest field. Jesus here. He's got a huge crowd gathered around him. He's, he's gone on a bit of a healing tour. You know, he's healing disease, casting out demons, um, sickness. But he knows what people really need, you know, amidst all of that. What people really need is spiritual healing. It's forgiveness of sins. And as he looks around at the crowd and he sees that people are so far from God, so lost, it moves his heart to deep compassion because he loves these people. If people's spiritual needs are the most urgent, then the most loving thing we can do for our friends and family who don't yet know Jesus Christ is to bring them the words of the gospel so that these needs can be met. That's the most loving thing we can do. Oftentimes, um, I don't know if you think of it like this, oftentimes we think it's not loving to evangelize, right? We don't think it's actually loving um, because what's evangelism do? When we share the gospel with someone, it makes our friend or family member feel uncomfortable, doesn't it? Like it's pretty awkward. You put them in a bit of a hard spot. They have to be confronted about sin and they have to think about things. So um, in, in our heads, we think that's, you know, we just think that's negative. That's a negative interaction. I'm going to stay right away from that. That's not loving at all. But I'm always struck by this quote from Penn Gillette. I don't know if you know who he is. He's half of the magician duo Penn and Teller. Do you guys know who Penn and Teller is? All the old people are nodding their heads, plus a few young people. I see, I see you, Nat. It's okay. Um, and he's got a really insightful quote about that, actually. And it's coming up on the screen. Yep. Can you guys read that? Yep. He says this, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. That's another word for evangelism, evangelize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell, 
or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, and atheists who think people shouldn't proselytize and who say, just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believe beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe, and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. That's from Penn Jillette. And here's the thing. He's an atheist. He's not a Christian. Even he can see this is the reality, right? He's an atheist. He doesn't, believe, he doesn't even believe in God. But he can see that if we actually believe this is true, that actually sharing it with people, it's the only loving thing you can do. Yeah. And actually holding it back, that's not loving. Friends, we're called to love. Love is hard. But mission matters because of love. The fourth reason, the brevity of life. I think one of the most important things in life is perspective, right? You really need to get perspective in, in, in your life. You know, when we get too caught up and we can't see the bigger picture, um, that's what causes stress and anxiety for us, where we see things wrongly, we make wrong decisions, actually. And I really love this verse from James 4. It's one of my favorites to help me get perspective when, in my life. Let me read it to you. Whoops, sorry. Let me read it to you, James 4, 13. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? Do you, why? You, don't, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. It's a confronting verse, isn't it? <laughs> That's why I really like it. It's a good reminder for me. When you think that your life is like a mist that is here today, gone tomorrow, and we, I think we all know that it is, it puts things in perspective. When you've realized the things that we've seen already, that heaven and hell are real, that Jesus came to die on the cross, that love is to drive us, and then you realize that our life is like a little mist that just disappears at any time at all, then how should we live in light of those truths? Those are the facts that are on the table. How are we to live in light of that? When you realize your life is so fleeting, so temporary, what else are we to do but to tell as many people as we can about the life-saving message of Jesus Christ before we go? I wonder what you said in your discussion question about um, having, you know, a few, you know, world was ending, end of the year, what would you do with your time? Um, and I've asked that question in a few different contexts. I've been asked that. Um, and the interesting thing is, like, the longer the timeline is, the more sort of leisure activities you sort of do. So if you're, if you're going to, if you know the world's ending in about five years' time, you might plan a few trips around the world, da-da-da sort of thing. But as, the, as that timeline sort of gets closer and closer, the urgency increases, doesn't it? You know, if I was to ask you instead of till the end of the year, if, if you knew that the world was coming to an end tomorrow, what would you do with your time? It changes things, doesn't it? There's an urgency, but... That's the reality. The world could be coming to an end tomorrow. Christ could be coming back at any time. Your life actually could also end. We don't know what is in store. There is an urgency to the gospel. There is an urgency to the gospel. This is the reality that we're faced with. Our lives are short. What will you do with your life? Mission matters because of the brevity of life. It is short. And let me end 
with this point, which is our biggest one, about, the, about why mission matters, the Great Commission. Now, finally, we come to this passage that was read to us before. A very surface understanding of why mission matters is because, um, I don't know if you, as you were paying attention to that reading before, that Jesus said so, right? He said, go and make disciples of all nations, so we better go do it, right? Um, that's a very surface, un- that's important, but I want to dig a bit deep into the truth here. Let's have a look at the passage. Let me read it. It's coming out on the screen, or if your Bibles are still open at that passage, follow along with me. Matthew 28. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now let me ask you a question. In that passage, what's the reason that we're to go and make disciples of all nations? Do you guys see the reason in that passage? You can shout out if you want. No, I won't make you shout out. It's okay. I know people are embarrassed. There's a reason there. Jesus doesn't just say, go and make disciples of all nations. He tells us in verse 18. Look at verse 18 with me on the the screen. It says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Read that again. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. This is the foundational reason why we go and make disciples of all nations. I don't know if you, recognize, if you realize that with the Great Commission. This is why we go and make disciples. How much authority does Jesus have? All authority, all authority in heaven and on earth. There is nothing that escapes his rule. This passage is telling us this, that Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And very soon in the narrative, what we'll see is he's going to ascend to heaven to take his place on the throne, reigning with God his Father, for eternity. There is no doubt that he is king. That's what he's saying. I have the authority. How do we know that? Because he's just done something that no one else can do. Something that is history changing. Right before he meets his disciples and speaks to them in this passage, uh, can you remember what's happened? Do you know what's happened in Jesus' life? He's just raised from the dead. He's just come out of the grave. Think about this. There's one thing that always wins in this life. It's death, right? No one can beat death. I don't, I don't care how much you gym, how many supplements you take, what else do, you, do people do, how many keto diets you are on or things like that. It doesn't matter. It's just delaying the inevitable. We all die. If you're human, you die. That's just part of our existence. You can't run away from this. No matter what you do, death will catch you. Death wins, Death has a power and authority over our lives that we can't overcome. We can't beat death. We can't. But Jesus can. And he has. And he's raised from the grave to show us that he has total victory over death, over sin. It doesn't rule anymore. Jesus has smashed death. He's overpowered sin. He's proven by this act that he has the ultimate authority. This is the king, friends. We're looking at the king. This is why we make disciples. Remember this. This is why we make disciples. Our mission here at CPE is to make devoted disciples of Jesus for God's glory. And hey, let me tell you something. Um, we didn't come up with this, okay? It's not like we had a massive planning meeting. Oh, what are we, what's church supposed to do? I don't know. God tells us what to do here. On the basis of Jesus Christ's kingship, 
the only thing you can do is go and tell more people about Jesus to show them how good Jesus is and that he is the good and gracious king that gives eternal life. This is, this is in one sense, really clear. We didn't make it up. God tells us why we're here. Our, our calling as a church is to go and make disciples, to tell people that Jesus is king, to tell people that he's the one with the power to forgive sins and to give eternal life, to bring people into his kingdom under his good and gracious king, rule so that they could live with him as king as well. Our mission is to make disciples. When we talk about disciple making at CP, this is one way that we sort of articulate it. Um, it's actually get people into the kingdom and to grow them to be more like Christ. Why? So on that final day, they can be gathered and worship around Jesus Christ. That's what we want. We want his glory as we see more people coming into the kingdom. Get people into the kingdom. Grow them to be more like Christ so they can be gathered around his throne on the final day. This is what disciple making is. This is why we're here. And friends, I want to remind you, this is why the church hasn't been called back yet. It's harvest season, friends. Many people still need to be saved. And this isn't just a job of the pastors, as you've seen. I'm not even doing a good job at it. This isn't just a job of the pastors or select few leaders. It's a job for everyone. We're all disciple makers, every single one of us here. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, how you know, un, un, unconfident you feel about this. We're, this is the calling God gives us. Sometimes when we think about church, uh, we think a little bit like this, yeah? That the church is like a luxury yacht, yeah? Keeping us comfortable on the way to heaven. We come to church and we come uh, seeking a good, comfortable experience. We come um, with our favorite seats, you know, that we get to sit on. We come with the people that we like to hang out with, uh, familiar friends, and church is great because it's comfortable. And as long as I'm kept comfortable on my way to heaven, then I'll be happy. That's why I come. But Jesus says this, if you want to follow me, you need to take up your cross. You need to be ready to suffer, and you need to be ready to die for the mission. The picture that Christ gives us is less of a luxury yacht and more of a lifeboat. Doesn't look as comfortable, does it? And the reality is, um, the reason why this imagery is important to think about it is that there's thousands of people that need rescuing all around us that are drowning in their sin. People who are still in the dominion of darkness with no hope. People far from God. People who don't know eternal life. People that Jesus wants to save that he wants us, his church, to go out on mission for, to bring into the kingdom so they know true joy and worship of him. This is why the church is still here. We're here to save people. I had a look at some stats recently in Brisbane, um, has over 2.2 uh, million people living here. Do you realize that? 2.2 million people living in Brisbane. Um, a bit closer to home. In just six suburbs around our church, uh, there's over 60,000 people. Just six suburbs just around our church, local area. And statistically, most of those people don't know Jesus. I give thanks for CP. Look at us, you know, we're two gatherings now. Um, in our wider church family, we've got about 300 people here. Um, and that's really amazing, isn't it, that God's done that work. But if you actually break it down, that's only half a percent of our surrounding area of 60,000 people. I won't even calculate what that is of our city. <laughs> that's only half a percent of our surrounding area. Wouldn't you love to see more people saved? 
Wouldn't you love to see more people know eternal life and hope? I know I would. This is why we started our two gatherings, to create more space for us to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's a bit smaller now. Uh, it's sort of nice. Um, you know, as uh, Pastor Matt said, you know, uh, we get to connect better and things like that. And I think we should celebrate that and enjoy that. But in one sense, we should be ready to change because we don't want it to stay that way. We want to put more chairs out. We want to fill every seat. If you look around you, those empty seats, we want them filled. We, we want more people to come in and hear the gospel for the first time. And guess what? When that happens, when the church starts filling up, when the lifeboat starts filling up, it might get a little bit uncomfortable. Think about a lifeboat as you rescue more people on. You know, it might get a bit uncomfortable. It looks pretty squeezy already, doesn't it? Um, it might start filling up. You might not know every single person on the lifeboat anymore. You might not get to talk to the captain as much anymore as well. But just imagine. Imagine if we could fill this hall again with new disciples of Jesus. Imagine if every seat we could fill with another person that's taken a step from death to life. My daily prayer as a pastor, this is what I pray in the mornings, is for thousands to be saved through CPE, through however long God gives it. I don't know how long this church will be here, but that's my prayer. And I think God can do it. And I pray that because I think there's nothing more important than that. This is our mission here. Friends, we're all disciple makers. We need everyone to do their part. You are the missional church. You are God's people called to go out, make disciples for his glory. The thing is, as a church, we need to do it together. Mission is a team effort. Now, our missions team last year came up with this building gospel friendships um, framework, which has been really helpful to help us think through what it looks like to actually connect with our friends. Because it, it is hard to share the gospel. So this gives us some practical steps. Uh, the point of that, I won't go through everything to but the point of that is that there's a process. It's a, it takes time and it's relational. It isn't just about Bible bashing people and trying to force them to convert because, you know, that's not the way we do things. I don't think that's loving to just for, try and force people into the kingdom. But it's about love. It's about relationship. And it starts with prayer, connecting, caring, conversing, communicating Christ, and then continuing to point them towards Jesus Christ as we go along. But I want to acknowledge even with this helpful framework, that it's hard to even take a step to do this, isn't it? I want us to remind us of something today that we don't have to do it alone. Uh, I want to bring out this particular aspect of church. We don't have to do it alone. Mission isn't a solo sport. It's a team effort. Let's do it together. Let's do it together. Let me just highlight two things today. Uh, the number one, firstly, it's prayer. It's got to start here. I, I know we all say, we all believe prayer is important. We say prayer is important, but um, are we doing it? Are we praying for our non-Christian friends, friends who don't yet know Jesus? Because this is the thing we need to start with. Because if, if there's one thing that we can't do, it's to save people from death to life, to bring them into the kingdom for eternity. We can't do that. God's got to do that. So we've got to start by praying. I used to have a list of people, um, of my friends, I used to pray for every night. You know, I used to pray for just like, you know, I want to see them saved. Um, over the year, And you know what? I used to see that list shrinking. Some of those people are in the church today, yeah? But you know what? I've stopped doing that. I don't know why. Well, probably I can't tell you why. I've got busy. I don't think it's important anymore. Forgot. But what's helped recently is just sharing with others about the people I want to see saved. You know, life groups have been forcing me to do that a little bit, right? You know, share, share with someone about someone. 
you want to see. And then having them pray for me, and then I get to pray for my brothers as well and the people they want to see saved, some of their family members or friends. That's been really important for me. It's helped remind me of this. My son Nathan um, earlier this week shared with me that in Sunday school, um, we are just having a chat about things, in Sunday school class, um, they all prayed for each other's grandpas because they were all non-believers. How encouraging was that? I was like, oh, mate, wonderful stuff, man. Our kids, are, our kids are doing it with each other, praying for each other's family members to be saved. How good is that? Isn't that a wonderful, encouraging thing to do? Friends, I want to encourage you today to start praying for those you want to see know Jesus. But don't just pray by yourself. Pray with others. Say to a friend, um, maybe share with your life group, hey, could you please pray for my friend? You know, could you pre- please pray for my mum, my dad? Could you pray for my sister? Just share with them. Get, get, get that prayer on board. You, know? you don't have to do it alone. Get praying with one another. Don't be afraid to share. How good is it to know that we're not alone in this battle? God's on our side. Our brothers and sisters are upholding our friends and family to him. Let's pray. Let's watch God work. Okay? That's the first thing. The second thing is this. Uh, the connect and care step together. This is one thing that I want to highlight in terms of something we can do together. Um, you know what I think is one of the things that stops us sharing the gospel? It's fear. Right? We're scared. We're scared oftentimes. We fear that people will think we're weird. Uh, they think, they're going to think we're conservative, stone-aged, uh, primitive, bigoted people with crazy beliefs about a guy that rose from the dead. It does sound a bit crazy, doesn't it, when I put it like that, when you think about someone who doesn't believe those things. But think about this. What if, as you talked to this friend of yours, this family member of yours who isn't a Christian, that you weren't the only one they knew who was a Christian, that they've actually met some of your Christian friends, and that they've actually discovered that your friends are actually pretty normal. They're okay. Actually, in fact, they're really friendly and welcoming. And what if they had a positive impression of Christianity and it wasn't just you that they had to rely on for their totality of what Christianity is? Do you think then that maybe they'd just be a little bit more open to coming to church one day if they knew a few of your church friends as well? Do you think maybe they'll be a little bit more open about having a conversation about spiritual things when they've seen your church friends actually good people in their eyes? Um, I was talking to my sister... Susanna, Susanna Vuvan, some of you know her. She's around somewhere in church. Um, and, you know, we, sh- we, we often reminisce about the past. You know, I've known Suze for a long time. And Suze actually uh, came into our church through YF Camp, which is our university group. So um, one year, I think it was 2004, um, I invited her to YF Camp, um, and she came along. And I recently just got talking to her. She was sharing with our life group. I said, why did you come? Like, why did you come to YF Camp? <laughs> Uh, she came with Vianna, her sister as well. And she said this, um, that you know, she had a, quite, a, quite a few Christian friends. And she saw that they were good people, they were nice. Um, and at that point in time, uh, there was a huge bunch of us at uni who were Christians that used to hang out. We didn't go to class very much, we just hung out in the refec, you know, just sort of thing. So we all got to know each other really well. Heaps of Christians that came to this church, to YF and stuff, and a whole bunch of people who didn't know Jesus as well. But we were all good friends. We all got to know each other. Um, and Sue said, you know, I love hanging around you guys and everyone else was going. So I thought, why not? To be honest, she didn't have any idea what it was. She thought it was just a social opportunity. So when we started singing and stuff, she was like, what's going on here? Um, but that's all right. She was a bit overwhelmed. But what she did notice as she came to that camp 
was that there was genuine joy and care amongst these people, that there was a happiness there amongst this community of Christians. And a few years later, um, when she went through a patch where she was wondering about, I'm not happy with things, I'm, I don't have a joy in my heart, she thought about us. <laughs> she thought about her Christian friends. And she wanted that joy too. And praise God, she found it. <laughs> and she's one of our sisters in Christ. She's been with us for many years. She follows Jesus faithfully. I'll be honest with you, um, I don't even remember much about inviting Sue's. Not because I don't care about Sue's, uh, but because at that point in time, this is just, there were so many of us around, we were doing it together, that we, it was a natural thing to do. We just talked to our friends, invited them along to, uh, to YF. You know, Sue's was one amongst a bunch of friends that we used to hang out with to bring along. And I think that's the power of doing things together. You don't have to do it alone. You do it with your friends. Evangelist Sam Chan calls this concept merging worlds. So often we keep our non-Christian friends over here and our Christian friends here, and they never, ever meet. They, they're like two separate worlds that we have. But we should be intentional about bringing these groups together. Next time you go and do something, next time you have a dinner at your place, maybe, next time you go out to eat to check out the latest restaurant, um, next time you see a movie, next time you go out, um, you know, mums and dads, you go on a play, you know, go to the playground with some friends, uh, next time you do some social sport, whatever it might be, badminton, frisbee, tennis, basketball, invite some church friends and invite some of your friends who don't yet know Jesus along from work, uni, school. Start those connections going. The aim isn't to convert them on the spot, but it's to build relationship. And undoubtedly, God will make them work, will work through this to make them curious about this group of people who maybe aren't so weird after all. They've got, well, they are weird, but in a good way. <laughs> They've got something different about them. Our collective witness as God's church is much more powerful than us going solo, friends. It's much more powerful. Friends, mission matters for us as God's church. Heaven and hell are real. Christ has died and risen again as king, and God has a plan for us, his church, to take them to this message to the ends of the earth, starting right here in our backyards. But the question is this, will you go? Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, this life-changing, earth-shattering news that we can have forgiveness of sins, that we can be children of you, that we can be saved, and we can live for eternity in heaven with you, not because we deserve it, but because you are good and loving and gracious to us. May we be convicted about this message. May we see that this is a message that changes life, not just for us, but for everyone who comes in contact with this. And may we not keep it to ourselves, but may we proclaim it from the mountaintops, tell it to whoever we might see. Give us the boldness to do this, because it is hard, and the world seems to be against us sometimes, but we pray for courage that comes from your Holy Spirit. We pray for your work by your Holy Spirit in others' hearts. And we pray for comfort that comes to us knowing that you ultimately are sovereign over people being saved. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, why don't you take a minute to just reflect on that passage. Maybe you want to take time to pray uh, quietly in your hearts about your friend that you'd love to see saved. Uh, if you're new with us, or you'd, um, please fill out the Connect card. It'll be coming up on the screen as well. Thanks.